One of the best-loved psalms in the Hebrew songbook is Psalm 51. It is the prayer David prayed after he had come to repentance regarding his sin with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah the Hittite. One of the most familiar lines in Psalm 51, partly because we sing it as a song, is the statement in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That is the cry and request of someone who really understands the nature of sin. You see, sin is not merely an external act. It's not merely something that we do or say externally. It is that, but it is not merely that. Sin is the outflow of the wickedness that is in the heart. That is why we pray, create in me a clean heart, O God, instead of just praying, I'm sorry, God, that I did that. I'm sorry, God, that I said that. If we really understand that sin is the outflow of that which is in the heart, then we call out to God to cleanse our hearts in addition to forgiving us for our wrong action or words or thoughts or whatever the sin might be. By the way, do you ever pray that way? Do you ever pray, oh God, cleanse my heart? If not, and if you only pray for forgiveness of deeds or forgiveness of words, you are not getting to the root of the issue. You're only dealing with the fruit and not the root. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we must get to the heart of the matter. That is exactly what our text is about this morning. Please turn with me in your Bible, if you are not already there, to Mark chapter 7. As we continue our trek through the Gospel of Mark, we come this morning to verses 14 through 23, which will form our text of focus. So please follow along as I read, beginning in verse 14. When Jesus had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus or are you still without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. This entire episode came about as a result of the disciples of Jesus not following the tradition of the elders, 
which mandated that it was necessary to go through ceremonial washings before eating. These ceremonial washings were not mandated in the Word of God. They were created by Jewish religious leaders from the past, and they were considered in Judaism just as binding, if not more, than Holy Scripture. Therefore, when the disciples of Jesus did not follow these traditions, it was a huge issue to the religious leaders of the day. It was such a huge issue that they sent a delegation of scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem all the way to Galilee to question Jesus on this matter. They wanted to know why Jesus and his disciples transgressed the tradition of the elders. In response, Jesus asked them why they transgressed the word of God. There's a sense in which Jesus didn't answer their question. Although his response basically admitted that he and his disciples did not follow the tradition of the elders. But instead of explaining his basis for doing so, instead of giving the rationale or his reason for doing so, he turned the discussion to what was really important, and that was the issue of obedience to the Word of God. This group that was questioning Jesus was so committed to their traditions and their rituals and their religious ceremonies that they put all that stuff over and above the Word of God. They went through the motions, all the motions of religiosity, but it was all external ritualism and formality. Their hearts weren't tender before God, and their hearts weren't close or near to God. Their actions were a cloak over the condition of their hearts. As you survey this entire seventh chapter of Mark's gospel, and really on into chapter 8, you see that this section of Mark's gospel tells the story of four kinds of heart. The first 13 verses, which we looked at last Lord's Day, show us a picture of the heart of a religious hypocrite. We saw in the last message how the Lord rebuked the scribes and Pharisees because their actions looked good on the outside, but their hearts were really not tender before God at all. Their hearts weren't near him or sensitive to him. In some cases, they were doing the right thing, but they were doing it without any heart, and they were simply going through the motions in a perfunctory way. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is deliberate manipulation of things to cloak ourselves in spirituality when our hearts really aren't interested in obeying the Lord at that point. Hypocrisy is when we don't want to do what God wants us to do in a specific area of life, so we come up with a clever spiritual reason to get around it. That's a hypocritical heart, as we saw in verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> then this morning, in verses 14 through 23, we see a picture of an unclean heart. Jesus says in verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of man... Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, and the list continues. That's a picture of an unclean heart. Then in verses 24 through 30, we will see, Lord willing, next week, a picture of a believing heart. There was a Gentile woman who came to Jesus 
on behalf of her daughter who was severely demon-possessed. Jesus explained to this woman that his first mission was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman accepted that explanation, but then went on to appeal to Jesus for mercy upon one who was outside of the community of Israel. She understood that the chronology of Jesus' mission to the Jew first didn't rule out the Gentiles benefiting from the Messiah's mercy. And she was right on, dead on. That is a picture of a believing heart. Then in the first 10 verses of chapter 8, we see a picture of a compassionate heart. In those verses, we have the record of Jesus feeding 4,000 men plus women and children who were residents of the primarily Gentile region known as the Decapolis. Jesus didn't turn them away simply because they were Gentiles. His heart was full of love and compassion for both Jew and Gentile. So chapter 8, verses 1 through 10 are a picture of a compassionate heart. That's why I said this section of Mark's gospel, beginning in chapter 7, moving into chapter 8, is all about the heart and various kinds of heart. We have a picture of a hypocritical heart, an unclean heart, a believing heart, and a compassionate heart. And it shouldn't surprise us that the heart is the focus, because that's the case all the way through Scripture. God wants us to give Him our hearts, not just our lip service. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, we believe in the heart. According to Matthew twenty two thirty seven, we love from the heart. According to Colossians three sixteen, we sing from the heart. According to Romans six seventeen, we obey from the heart. According to Second Corinthians nine seven, we give from the heart. It's all about the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. No wonder David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we must get to the heart of the matter. And that is especially the focus of verses 14 through 23, which are our text of consideration this morning. After Jesus had rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for nitpicking at his disciples about ceremonial hand-washing, while they were willing to disregard the commandments of God, he called the multitudes together to explain further. So that brings us this morning to chapter 7, verse 14, as Mark basically continues the story that he began in the early verses of chapter 7. Notice what he tells us in verse 14. When Jesus had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. Hear me, everyone, and understand. Jesus is about to take on a huge issue within Judaism, specifically the issue of ceremonial cleansing. He felt it wasn't enough to address the scribes and Pharisees as he did in the early verses of the chapter. He saw it as necessary to use this occasion to address the issue on a broader scale. That's why he called the multitudes to himself. He knew they had been indoctrinated 
by the teaching of their religious leaders to believe that the most important issue in all of life was to be ceremonially clean. That is why these religious leaders followed such an elaborate practice of washings and purification to rectify their possible uncleanness. But Jesus is about to take issue with that whole system. And beloved, you just, you, you just cannot grasp what a bombshell this was. You just can't. That's why Jesus begins by saying, Hear me, everyone, and understand. What he is about to say is going to sound so foreign to the multitudes that he prefaces it with this statement to get their attention. Hear me, everyone, and understand. In other words, listen up. Take this in because what you are about to hear is going to be shocking to your ears. It's going to be revolutionary to your thinking. Verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. What Jesus says in that verse, beloved, that one verse, what Jesus says is a head-on clash with the religious leaders of his day. You need to understand that volumes, I'm exaggerating, volumes were written on the existence or, or, and are still in existence which enlarge in the most critical and minutest way upon the washing of hands. Dissertations were written on the simple act of washing and the plunging of hands into water, on the manner of the washing, what hand is to be washed first, the time when it is to be done, the quantity of water to be used, and many other rules. In addition, there were all kinds of superstitions attached to this practice. There is actually a statement in the Talmud which implies that evil spirits light upon the hands at night, and if you don't wash your hands as prescribed by the oral law, these evil spirits find their way into your mouth and into your stomach. So that was the context in which Jesus spoke these words. And that was the religious dogma that he was taking head on. For him to say, there is nothing... There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. That would have been an earth-shattering statement. That's all they could think about. From morning till night, they were consumed with thoughts of ceremonial cleanliness. Thus, this was a radical teaching. And then Jesus added the next statement in this verse, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. They had never thought about this. Never. This was revolutionary. So it's no wonder that the religious leaders were appalled by such a statement. And in verse 16, in some of your Bibles, Jesus emphasizes this further by saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Not all of our English translations have this statement. It's a textual issue. But it's emphasizing the same point Jesus made earlier when he said, Hear me, everyone, and understand. 
This is a critical message to hear. Now at this point in the story, Matthew tells us that the disciples of Jesus came to him and they sort of secretly on the side, they said, Lord, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I almost laugh out loud when I read that statement. Do you realize how much church people are like this? Pastor, I thought you should know that some people were offended when you had us kneel down to pray. Pastor, I thought you should know that some people were offended by that song this morning. Pastor, I thought you should know that some people were offended when you said what you said in your sermon. Pastor, I thought you should know that some people were offended when that missionary showed those pictures of those little naked children. Pastor, I thought you should know that some people were offended when you read and spoke on that text that you spoke on and when you made those comments you made. Beloved, that happens all the time. There is so much concern about offending people. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be cold toward people or insensitive toward people or uncaring toward people, but what I am suggesting is that it would be nice to have a little more concern about offending God. We are so man-centered in our thinking, so man-focused in our perspective, just like the disciples. Lord, we thought you should know that the Pharisees were offended when you said that. When I am told that people were offended by the kinds of things I mentioned a moment ago, my thought is, you know, God sure was offended by the way a lot of people worship today. Or God sure was offended by the way a lot of people didn't really worship today. And what's even worse is when we allow the response of people who get offended at such things to determine what we do and what we don't do, or what we say, or what we don't say. You know, people are leaving the church over that one. Jesus absolutely refused to bow to that pressure. Absolutely refused. When the disciples of Jesus came to him and said the Pharisees were offended, you know how Jesus responded? Matthew tells us. Jesus said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That was Jesus' response to the offense of the religious leaders of his day. He knew they weren't really on God's wavelength. They weren't thinking God's thought. They weren't willing to heed the word of God. He knew they had usurped and prostituted their positions of spiritual leadership. He knew that the only destination for them would be the judgment of God. That's why he said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. It was a prediction of coming judgment. It was a judgment they didn't have to face But because they weren't willing to soften their hearts to God and His Word, it was a judgment they would face. 
And then the scariest statement of all is when Jesus said to his disciples, let them alone. Oh, those three words are so scary. Let them alone. When God leaves you alone, you are really in trouble. We tend to think that it's bad when God is going after you. You know what I mean by that statement. You know, the age-old statement, the hounds of heaven on our heels When we're going a direction we shouldn't be going and the Lord is just right there going after us, we think that's bad, but that's not bad. When God is going after you, then that means that there is still hope, but when you have been abandoned by God, that's really bad. When God takes his hands off and says, okay, go your own way. Do what you want to do. Do your own thing. You won't listen? So run headlong to the consequences. That's what's really bad. One of the severest forms of God's judgment is when he leaves us alone. Three times in Romans 1, this concept is reiterated with the words, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over. Beloved, that ought to make shivers run up and down our spines. Let them alone. It's as if Jesus was saying, they're past the point of no return. Let them go. If they are offended, they are offended. There is nothing more that can be done to reach them because they won't listen. Now it was bad enough that these religious leaders were headed for the judgment of God themselves, but it was doubly tragic because they were taking a host of people with them. All those who blindly followed their teachings were headed for the judgment of God. The religious leaders were accountable to God for leading the people astray, but the people were accountable for blindly following the teachings of the religious leaders. It goes both ways. According to the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel in response to this incident when the disciples say, oh, they were offended, both groups were headed for a ditch which was a way of saying both were headed for the judgment of God, the leaders and the people. Now, none of that interaction is recorded here in Mark's gospel. His focus is on the disciples and how they responded, how they reacted, how they were processing this, and they weren't. Because in verse 17, Mark tells us when he had entered a house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him concerning the parable. You see, even the disciples did not understand the statement of Jesus in verse 15 when he said, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. The disciples didn't get it. It was so different than what they had heard their entire lives. It was so different than what they had seen and what they had experienced. Therefore, it's probably impossible for us to relate to this. I mean, you know, we read this and we think, how how could they not get it? It's so obvious and it seems so silly that they would be so encumbered by all this ceremonial hand-washing and dissertations written on how you plunge your hands and all. Why didn't they get it? Listen, if you and I had been raised in a culture that completely and repeatedly emphasized the importance of ceremonial cleanness 
it would be difficult for us to understand that there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. The disciples didn't get it. So they asked Jesus for an explanation. In fact, notice how Mark says it. He says that they asked him concerning the parable. They thought it was a parable. It wasn't really a parable. It wasn't. It was a straightforward statement. There's nothing that goes in, nothing that you eat that can defile you, but it's what you say and what you do. A straightforward statement, but the disciples didn't grasp it because of the grid that was in their minds from their culture and their upbringing. They should have been beyond that by this time, but they weren't. They were still encumbered by it. Verse 18 tells us, So Jesus said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? In other words, the disciples should have gotten this by now. After all, they had been around Jesus for quite a while, and and they had heard Jesus teach on many occasions. They had heard Jesus say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They knew Jesus didn't say, Blessed are the ceremonially clean, for they shall be acceptable before God. No. Jesus never said anything like that. That kind of thing wasn't the emphasis of Jesus' ministry at all. In fact, Jesus regularly took issue with the teachings of the religious leaders of the day because those teachings did not line up with Scripture. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he made the statement, You have heard it said, but I say unto you. That was Jesus' way of emphasizing the contrast between the teachings of the religious leaders and the teachings of the Word of God. And those contrasts often revolved around the difference between focusing on external issues without any regard for the heart. So the disciples should have realized what Jesus meant by the statement, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. They should have grasped the meaning of that statement, but they didn't. This was not a lesson that was easy for them to accept. So Jesus explained. Verse 18 continues. Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated? The point that Jesus is making here is that food can't contaminate your spirit. Food can't contaminate your soul. Your heart, your inner person. What goes in the mouth passes through the stomach and the other internal parts of the body to be digested and then eliminated. It's the amazing physiological process that God created within us. So the food that goes in your mouth cannot contaminate your spirit and your soul and your heart to cause you to be defiled. At this point, there is an amazing statement here in the text. Right at the end of verse 19, Mark adds an editorial comment. He says, basically, that this statement by Jesus, when he made it, thus it purifies all foods. Or some of your versions say, Jesus declared all foods clean. 
Mark is informing us at the end of this verse that this teaching of Jesus, this statement by Jesus, basically pulled back all the Old Testament dietary laws and restrictions. Now, you're probably familiar with some of those. The children of Israel couldn't eat pork, and they couldn't eat certain kinds of food. If there were certain foods that were in the category of clean and unclean, etc., But here Mark is telling us this teaching of Jesus changed all that. All foods were pure from this point on. Christians who think they are pleasing God by following the Old Testament dietary laws need to hear this statement. Jesus declared all foods clean. And this was reaffirmed to Peter in Acts 10 in the vision the Lord gave to him on that occasion. Foods cannot defile a person, but what comes out of a person can. So in verse 20, Jesus said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. Jesus makes it clear in the next verse that he is talking about what comes out of the heart. And when Jesus uses the term heart, he is obviously not talking about the internal organ that pumps blood throughout the body. He's not making a comment about the physiology of how food can affect your cholesterol or how it can affect your arteries or how food can affect your heart. He is talking about the spiritual heart, which is at the core of who who you and I are as people. And that's why he says what comes out of a man... That defiles him. Jesus was making the point that the issue of ceremonial uncleanness from certain foods was becoming a thing of the past and should not be the focus of anyone's attention anymore. That's why Mark added the fascinating editorial comment at the end of the previous verse. And let me remind you that Mark wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The dietary laws, let me state this as clearly as I can. The dietary laws and the issue of ceremonial uncleanness would not be a factor under the new covenant. Food that goes into the mouth cannot defile you, but what comes out in actions and words can defile you because it comes out of the heart. It's in your heart and it comes out in your life. It's in your heart, and it comes out of your mouth. And if it is something sinful, listen, it defiles you. This is a very interesting point that Jesus is making. He is saying that what comes out of our mouths and what comes out in our actions defiles us. Now, now hear me on this point. Stay with me. If if your mind has wandered, come back in, all right? Tune back in. It's very important to hear what Jesus is teaching here because we may reason like this. And in fact, I have heard many Christians make this kind of comment. They say, well, if it's in our hearts, it's already there anyway. So what's the difference? What does it really matter? It matters a lot. It matters a lot. Sure, it's bad that it's in the heart, And it ought to be dealt with in the heart. But listen, Jesus is saying it's doubly bad, and I'll use his word, it's defiling when it comes out of your heart in the form of sinful words or sinful actions. 
So don't buy into the lie that says, well, if it's already inside, I might as well let it out anyway. No, you shouldn't. Jesus said that what comes out of your mouth can defile you. Or what comes out in your actions can defile you. As I was preparing this message, it just so happened, I received the sad news about a couple from our church that verbally blasted some people and at an event in the community. It was a sporting event. And it was right out in the open for those who were standing around to see and to hear. And I'm sure this couple felt justified for ver- verbally unloading on the people around them. And they may have justified their actions by saying, well, it's how I felt, so I just said it. It's what I was thinking. It's what I was feeling. I just, so I just said it. I was already thinking it anyway, so what did it matter what I, you know, that I said it? It mattered a lot. According to Jesus, it matters a lot. Jesus says it matters. L- let me tell you what Jesus says. He says it defiles you. It's amazing to me that people who are like that don't understand why they don't have a good marriage and good relationships with others. Jesus says you are defiling yourself when you utter things like that out of your mouth. But it's not only words that come out of the heart that can defile us. It's also actions. He says in verse 21 as he expands the list, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Some of those things have to do with our words, And some of those things have to do with our actions. The fact that these things are in our hearts is bad. And we should deal with them at that level, at the heart level. But it's doubly bad and defiling when they come out of the heart in the form of sinful words and sinful actions. Where does murder begin? In the heart. Where does adultery, immorality begin? In the heart. Where do theft, lying, and slander begin? In the heart. And when these things come out, words or actions, Jesus said that defiles us. That's what makes us unclean. Not eating food without ceremonially washing our hands. So Jesus closed out his teaching in verse 23. All these things come from within, and in case we haven't gotten the message yet, and defile a man. It defiles you and me, beloved, to say things that come out of the heart when those things are wrong. It defiles us to do things when things are in our hearts and they come out in the form of actions that are sinful or unacceptable, those are the kinds of things that defile us. Beloved, this is, such, this is such a powerful section of Scripture because it forces us to focus on the heart of the matter. 
The heart of the issue is the heart. Our words and our actions show us that we have a heart problem. Therefore, when it comes to dealing with sinful words or sinful actions, we need to make sure that we deal with the fruit and the root. Not just the fruit, the fruit and the root. If we don't, we're not getting to the heart of the matter. If we only deal with the words, we only deal with the actions, if we only say, oh God, I'm sorry I did that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, we're not getting to the core issue. We, like David, should cry out, oh God, cleanse my heart. I have a heart problem. That's why I said, that's why I said what I just said or what I, why I said what I said yesterday. I have a heart problem. That's why I ended up doing what I did this week that I shouldn't have done. I have a heart problem. Oh, God, cleanse my heart. That's the right prayer. Would you please bow with me as we pray that and other things together? As you bow your head in closing this morning, thinking about Jesus teaching here on this occasion, in a masterful way, Jesus points us to the heart. And so I want to begin our sort of wrap-up comments this morning by asking you, have you believed from the heart? You remember earlier in the message we talked about we sing from the heart, we obey from the heart. Well, we believe in the heart. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, have you from the heart, in your heart, really believed or embraced the Lord Jesus Christ? That's first and foremost. Have you really in your heart of hearts, trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If not, you have no hope, absolutely no hope, of dealing with your heart. That's the starting point. That's where it begins. So if you're here today, you don't know Christ, you've never surrendered to Him, in your heart of hearts, submit right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, in in the quietness of your own heart, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I want your forgiveness. I want your salvation. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Please be that to me. Please come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now, if you are a child of God, if you really have trusted Christ, That doesn't guarantee that still some of these things Jesus talked about won't come out. They still can come out. You know that. If you're objective and intellectually honest with yourself, these things still plague us. Because the Bible talks about the fact that we still wrestle with the flesh. The flesh still pulls at us, weighs on us. And so like David, we cry out, Oh God, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart so that these things won't come out. So they won't be in there and thus come out. That's the way the Lord wants us to come to him. I urge you, don't don't dismiss this. If the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart, don't just pass it off. Deal with your heart before God. Father, we are so grateful once again not only for the Lord Jesus himself, but 
his teaching that has been recorded for us in Holy Scripture so that he could challenge our hearts and grip our hearts the way he did people in the first century. So Father, as we consider what Jesus had to say on this occasion, as we, as we contemplate, as we meditate on it, we want to cry out with David, cleanse my heart, O God. We want to make sure that we deal with sinful words, sinful actions, not merely on an external level, but at a heart level. And remind us that those things which are in our heart and we, and we let them out. When we let them out, we defile ourselves by saying what we shouldn't say or doing what we shouldn't do. Yes, it's bad that, the, that it's in there, but to let it out, just to live it out or spurt it out, it's defiling to us. So may we really grasp what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was teaching, and always relate to you on a heart level, not merely just externals, not just trying to look good on the outside, put on a, a, a certain look or face, but rather deal with things at a heart level. Teach us to live life that way, that we might be pleasing to you, Father, and your Son, the Lord Jesus. And in closing, we pray for anyone here who needs to come to grips with a lack of relationship with Jesus on a heart level. May your Spirit draw that man or woman to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. May, the, may they believe from the heart, wholeheartedly, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.